Major funding for NJ Spotlight News is provided in part by NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years, and by the PSCG Foundation. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, more than a billion dollars in opioid funds for the taking. Governor Murphy today announcing who gets a piece of this massive settlement pie. The fact that the perpetrators are paying for this is a, is a bit of sweet revenge, I think, uh, for all the tragedy they've caused. Plus, Senator Cory Booker finally calling for a ceasefire, but choosing his words carefully as the Israel-Hamas war enters its fifth month and pressure from Palestinian families here mounts. Ceasefire now is absolutely necessary to save the lives that are remaining in Gaza. Also, no contract, no beer. In Newark, Anheuser-Busch Brewery employees stage a practice picket calling for better wages and benefits as a potential strike looms. Obviously, it's not something that you want to do, but if it comes down to it, that's just what we have to do to get where we want to be. And the congestion pricing battle rages on. Bergen County joins the state's lawsuit against New York City's Midtown Toll Price Plan. You know, shame on the MTA for thinking that that's all okay so that they can gain additional dollars. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJPBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Thursday night. I'm Brianna Venozzi. It's no consolation for the families who've lost loved ones to the opioid epidemic, but Governor Murphy today announced a major investment in the fight against the crisis, armed with $95 million in settlement money from the opioid industry to expand recovery services and support for people battling addiction. It means New Jersey now has a war chest of more than a billion dollars to aid the cause. And as senior correspondent Joanna Gagas reports, they'll need every penny. Today, I'm honored to announce that we will be investing over $95 million over the next three years into a range of evidence-based strategies to expand care and support individuals in recovery. Governor Murphy joined with the commissioners of the Departments of Health and Human Services today to announce the first tranche of funding investments that will be made by the state, the result of several opioid lawsuits brought by the Attorney General's office that have garnered approximately $1.2 billion in settlements for the state. This funding is actually coming from settlement payments we are receiving from the opioid industry itself as a result of our litigation against them for creating and then fueling the opioid crisis. Those companies include several pharmaceuticals, including New Jersey-based Johnson & Johnson, along with three of the nation's largest pharma distributors and two of the largest pharmacies in the country, CVS and Walgreens. The fact that the perpetrators are paying for this is a, is a bit of sweet revenge, I think, uh, for all the tragedy they've caused. Department of Human Services Commissioner Sarah Edelman opened up today about her own connection to the issue as the daughter of a parent who lost their life to substance use disorder. She served as chair of the Opioid Recovery and Remediation Advisory Council that used data to make recommendations on where the money should go. It'll be broken into six buckets. $24 million to harm reduction expansion activities to better meet people where they are, 
$17.5 million to support community peer recovery centers, which are safe and welcoming places for individuals ready to receive support for their recovery. $9 million to expand mobile medication for addiction treatment, which is an effective, low-barrier, and evidence-based strategy. In addition to the harm reduction, treatment, and medication expansion funding, the state will also invest $8 million in Keeping Families Together programs that use trauma-informed therapy, $19.5 million for a rapid referral program to help patients access medication treatment, and $17 million in supports for housing stability for those struggling with addiction. The announcement comes as the state is just starting to see the numbers come down to under 3,000 suspected opioid deaths a year. While we are flattening the curve for some, we are not flattening the curve for all. And as we've seen, the numbers drop off for white New Jerseyans. We've actually seen them continue to rise in the black and brown communities in our state, which is unacceptable. And we're seeing disproportionate amounts of people really affected in rural areas and staggering numbers in the elderly population. Members of the advisory council, like Newark Community Street Team's Solomon Middleton-Williams, are continuing to lend their support to a larger strategic plan that'll guide the state over the next two decades of spending this money. These recommendations are not pearly words on a paper. They are the results of countless hours of listening, analyzing, and debating. <laughs> You know, and we held public sessions to hear directly from New Jersey residents most impacted by this crisis. And today, the administration made this commitment. Not a dollar will be spent filling budget holes or potholes. It'll take about 18 years for that full $1.2 billion to come in, and that number could increase as more lawsuits are resolved. The state does plan to reopen its portal to receive recommendations from the public as to how that money could best be spent. In Newark, I'm Joanna Gagas. NJ Spotlight News. Turning to the Middle East, Israeli forces today sent troops into the main hospital in southern Gaza's Han Yunus in what it said was an operation to recover bodies of hostages and search for Hamas fighters. The Gaza Health Ministry accused the IDF of storming the complex, leaving an undetermined number of people killed and injured, including an emergency doctor. The medical charity Doctors Without Borders, which has staff members at the hospital, urged Israel to stop the operation. The Israeli military is facing rising international condemnation over its strikes on Gaza. U.S. Senator Cory Booker on Wednesday joined 24 other senators in support of ongoing U.S. efforts to free the remaining hostages taken by Hamas, along with what the senators called restoring a, quote, mutual ceasefire agreement in Gaza. That's not exactly a call for an end to the war or a true ceasefire, but it's the closest request yet after more than three months of fighting. Today, Palestinian American families from New Jersey whose loved ones are in Gaza made their own desperate plea to elected officials, begging for their help before it's too late. Senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan has the story. This is why we are here. We are the voice of our families. We are here to let everyone here in America to know that what is happening to Palestinians in Rafah. Piscataway resident Najla Khas spoke for her uncle during a news conference with pro-Palestinian advocates. She says he's struggling to survive in Rafah, even as an Israeli ground invasion threatens this last refuge for Palestinian evacuees displaced by the war. A dozen family members now shelter together in a tent. My uncle's an 85-year-old man. 85-year-old man and now lives on the street in a tent. 
with little food, he's waiting to die from hunger or to be killed from Israel's grand invasion. Some of my family member has survived the bombing and now very much starving. Can't find food, can't, cannot find any kind of clean water or any kind of water. Adam Sharia lives in Springfield. He says family in northern Gaza now eat animal feed to stay alive, that his cousin was abducted by Israeli soldiers. Every speaker listed family members killed or missing in this conflict. These are Palestinian Americans, residents of New Jersey, who are calling on our elected officials to demand that action be taken immediately. A ceasefire now is necessary. Ceasefire now is absolutely necessary to save the lives that are remaining in Gaza. Noting that only two of Jersey's congressional representatives, Democrats Bonnie Watson Coleman and Donald Payne, have called for a ceasefire. Families addressed elected officials who don't support their cause. Don't even reach out to us. Don't waste your time. Speakers push the political message hard, vowing to make this an issue at the polls. They've gotten through to the governor, too. During a Lunar New Year event at the governor's mansion, Drumthwacket Monday, a couple protesters demanded Governor Murphy disband a commission which fosters cultural and economic ties between New Jersey and Israel. Given the bombings in Rockville, why wouldn't you disband the New Jersey Israeli commission? We're not going to do that. Well, good for It's really important to contextualize uh, the anger of those who were at Drumthwacket, uh, why they had approached the governor. They feel, you know, it's been four months. People have been calling on the governor and on elected officials uh, to reevaluate New Jersey's relationship with Israel. And a lot of our calls have been falling on deaf ears. After the encounter, Murphy raged. He felt white hot mad. In a furious text, he fired off to his staff and inadvertently NJ.com reporter Matt Arco, who broke the story. Today, the governor explained. We stand for protecting innocent lives as best we can. Um, the substance I get completely, but the statement we put out about what happened will we'll leave, will stand for itself. Murphy said he understands the enormous passions involved here, but as for a ceasefire... I am where, where I am. I think the, where the Biden administration is, uh, let's remember Hamas started this. Let's not forget that. And Hamas has let the Palestinian people down to say it uh, politely. Murphy's staff says they will reevaluate event protocols after what happened at Drumflacket. I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News. They make one of the most popular beers in the nation, and now workers at Anheuser-Busch in Newark are ready to walk off the job. Employees represented by the Teamsters Union held an informational picket line today outside the brewery. They're in the thick of intense contract negotiations with the iconic beer brand over similar labor demands that have been made across the country in just about every industry. Higher pay, increased job security, and better health care. As Ted Goldberg reports, workers say if a deal isn't reached by February 29th, they'll strike. It looks like a strike and it sounds like a strike. We don't get no contract, we you don't get, get no beer. beer. But it's not a strike, it's a practice strike. That's what it's called by some workers at the Anheuser-Busch Brewery in Newark. 
Their contract ends in two weeks, and the Teamsters, representing almost 200 workers here, are demanding better benefits and higher pay. We saw the, uh, the Super Bowl uh, commercials. Uh, apparently they spent $21 million on that. Uh, there's been a billion dollar stock buyback. Our uh, CEO is getting paid $40 million a year. Uh, we feel it's time that uh, uh, something come our way. With the price of everything, everything's going up in society right now, um, with gas prices, food prices, everything, you got to be able to, you know, accommodate your family and be able to purchase those things for your family. I just keep thinking about my family. Like, I'm a head of household for a few people in my family, not just the people that lives in my house, but other families. Workers like Rob Carter say they like working here, and they want assurances about job security. This is such a good job, and I love the people here, and just, it's just, you know, you don't want to keep looking for work, and we're getting older, and such a tough market to find a job. It's actually hard out here to find a job, so being though that we know that we actually will have a job after this contract is, um, you know, renegotiated, it'll be a good thing. If there is no contract, we could see a strike here. The Teamsters voted 99% to authorize a strike in December, which could affect 5,000 workers at 12 breweries nationwide. Obviously, it's not something that you want to do, but if it comes down to it, that's just what we have to do to get where we want to be. The Teamsters that have been across the globe as far as like UPS and everything like that, strikes work. Just having a tangible threat of going on strike at UPS was enough for them to secure a really good contract for their members. Rutgers labor professor Todd Vashon says a work stoppage at this brewery would continue the ongoing trend of more strikes across different industries. We're coming out of a big year of strikes. 2023, there were a lot of big wins by labor. We saw the Screen Actors on strike. We saw the um, Writers Guild on strike. All those were successful strikes that really, you know, demonstrated when workers come together and show solidarity, they're able to make big wins at the bargaining table. Not looking forward to it, but you know what I'm saying? It is what it is, you know, so you gotta do what you gotta do out here. You know, I feel the same way, so, you know, we gotta be heard. In response to this story, Anheuser-Busch sent a statement which reads in part, our top priority remains securing a contract that recognizes and rewards our hardworking employees and prioritizes long-term security for the best jobs in the beer industry. They also say if there is a strike, Anheuser-Busch has a continuity plan to continue brewing their beers. In Newark, I'm Ted Goldberg, NJ Spotlight News. Route 40, locally known as Black Horse Pike, is one of the primary ways to get in and out of Atlantic City. But a mile-long stretch of the road between the Shoretown and Egg Harbor Township floods multiple times a year. It's a poster child for the state's problem with the repercussions of longer, heavier rain events. As Raven Santana reports, one South Jersey lawmaker is pushing the state to give drivers some financial relief when they get cut off from that main artery. And it, it's awful. This is like I should stock trout in it or something. Barry Blackman says he's sick and tired of being left stranded in his home when it floods for hours. His home is located on Fox Place, just a short walk away from Lakes Bay. That's prone to flooding about eight times a year and affects anyone on the small street. I have lost three cars and two motorcycles because it got so high. You're talking to the right person. It's a disgrace. They, what are we, subhumans? On a regular basis, it floods every full moon and high tide, but it can also flood from heavy rain that has nothing to do with the tide, 
And once in a while, if the wind is bad, the wind will actually blow it up and out of here. And homeowners aren't the only ones impacted by the flooding. So are local drivers and really anyone and everyone who uses Route 40, which is why Senator Vince Palestina is introducing new legislation to change that. Unfortunately, Route 40, which is a state roadway, uh, floods constantly now and uh, impacts people trying to come into Atlantic City, get out of Atlantic City, and also impacts a lot of the residents over there. And the alternate route is the Atlantic City Expressway where there is a toll. And so the bill you know, would suspend those tolls anytime the state has to close the roadway, Route 40. Uh, very important for people impacted either coming in or getting out of the city and also the residents in West Atlantic City. They should not have to pay additional money because a state road is flooded. Palestina is confident that the bill will pass regardless of what political party lawmakers support. We have Don and Claire introducing the assembly version. I'm sure everyone will understand uh, that this is an impact on the people here, the, the um, residents and the people visiting Atlantic City. So I'm sure we will get bipartisan support. So Atlantic City, I think is a really great example of the impact that sea level rise can have on the economy because most of the people that work in Atlantic City don't live in Atlantic City. So they have to drive on and off the island to get to work. And that primarily is your service industry employees, and your casino employees, um, you know, the people that make tourism run there, right? So the economy is really tied to people being able to get on and off Absecon Island. Associate Director of Monmouth University's Irving Coast Institute, Tom Harrington, says while the bill will give motorists a cheaper way to get around, he's more concerned about repeated flooding and the long wait for permits, money, and construction to elevate the road, a $27 million project that was originally introduced almost five years ago. When we talk about sea level rise of a, a foot and a half by 2050 per se, that's just one component of of the flood risk. The reality is that on top of that sea level, we have tides and storms. And so it's not just the high tide that may cause more frequent flooding. Uh, it's the number of storms we get and the, and the storm surges we get in the bays. So, so when we look at the probability of future flooding, the storms become a key element of that and um, uh, can create more frequent flooding than we would expect just by adding sea level rise to the tide alone. Palestina says the city needs a comprehensive program for dredging in Lakes Bay and support from the local and federal government to restore waterways in the areas which he says have not been restored in pre-Sandy condition. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Raven Santana. In North Jersey, Bergen County just officially joined the ongoing fight against New York's congestion pricing plan. County leaders say a U.S. District Court judge approved the request to join New Jersey's lawsuit against the Metropolitan Transportation Authority, that's the MTA, which argues the agency's plan to charge drivers an extra fee if they enter Manhattan south of 60th Street is discriminatory because New Jersey drivers who use the Lincoln and Holland tunnels will pay nearly double what New Yorkers get charged if they enter the zone. In filing to join the suit, Bergen County officials called the plan a money grab. They say it'll burden North Jersey with more air pollution and increased traffic. The judge's acceptance of the request means county leaders like Executive Jim Tedesco will be able to offer information and insight on the case. When we really started to look at, you know, the congestion pricing, we started to realize that, um, there, there were going to be major impacts, not just to the Fort Lee area, but to the to the entire county. Now you start to add tens of thousands of cars 
that never normally would come across the bridge. And now, and now you're going to have traffic delays. You're going to have people that people that can't get to work on time. Um, you almost almost you're creating a bridge gate scenario. In our spotlight on business report, it's a bit of a mixed bag for the state's latest revenue figures. New Jersey's budget got a boost from a strong holiday shopping season, according to the Treasury Department. But overall tax collections, we're talking from July to January, were down by about $329 million compared with the same period in the last fiscal year. That news comes as Governor Murphy prepares to give his annual budget address to lawmakers later this month and just days after an independent group of policy experts warned the state is looking at a series of major budget gaps in the not-too-distant future. Our budget and finance writer John Reitmeyer is with me now for the latest. John, good to see you. So t give me the big takeaways from this revenue report because uh, it's a little confusing. It seemed positive, but overall we're not trending in the right direction. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's good to get a bump from holiday shopping. It's good to have this past uh, December season go better than, than the one before it. So that, that's a, a good trend uh, in the right direction. However, overall, we are seeing revenues a little bit off where they were this time last year. And that's not a big deal and it's not a big gap. But the thing that, that's important to keep in mind is when the governor and legislators enacted a new budget for the state uh, last summer, they counted on there being modest growth to back what was uh, the biggest budget we've ever had in New Jersey. So we're now seeing no, uh, no growth. In fact, we're seeing things go a little bit in the other direction. It's not too late, but you, you, if you're going to be spending big, you want to see those revenues coming in to match it. Where? Where are we lagging specifically? So two of the biggest revenue sources the state has is the income tax and the corporation business tax. And those two so far are lagging. Now, the big thing coming up in April, obviously, will be when people uh, file their tax returns. And that's usually makes or breaks the state budget. When we get to April, if we have a good year for income tax collections, we kind of glide into the end of the fiscal year in June. If we have a bad year for tax collections in, in, in April, then we have to make adjustments headed into the end of June. So we, we really don't know, and we're in striking distance. But if the current trend continues, and we continue to fall behind last year's pace, we are spending more than we spent the prior year, so that creates a gap. Mm, okay, so now that we're nearing the end of the state's fiscal year, which is June 30th, what happens then if that shortfall remains? How does the state make up for it? Can it? Yeah, generally the Constitution for New Jersey prevents a deficit like the federal government's allowed to run. And so usually what happens is there are, there are last-minute cuts or... Um, Sometimes if the surplus is big enough, the state will dip into budget reserves to paper over whatever the gap is. And so if, if this gap persists past those April income tax collections, that's when we'll have to shift the conversation to those types of things because we're not allowed to get to the end of the fiscal year imbalanced. How much weight, John, because you wrote about this this week, should we put into this uh, report from, these were folks from the Sweeney Center down at Rowan University, sort of waving the flag about yeah. the trend of our spending, the state spending, um, and what they predict will be a big budget gap ahead. It's certainly a big warning sign. And these are this is a bipartisan group, former state treasurer. There's a former chief economist for the state on this panel. So heavy hitters who are are uh, have a lot of credibility when they do these exercises. It's certainly not the final say because we're going to have changes in policy 
that can offset these projected gaps. And we're talking about years from now, three, four, five years from now. Um, at the same time, it does show us if we stick to the current path, we've got trouble coming. I want to ask you very quickly, we're coming off of the Super Bowl, uh, big betting numbers, at least from what we can see so far. How much did uh, gambling and casino revenue, uh, online betting, play into the revenue for the state? It's, it's one of the areas where, where the arrow is going up, uh, especially for online gambling. And so putting aside how you feel about that, it's one of the, the growth areas in, in, the, in the revenue stream. Uh, so, so that's a good thing. It's just not a huge part of the overall pie. So in context, it's, it's, it's a nice bump, but it's not going to carry the day. It's not going to fix any big fiscal problems. All right, John Reitmeyer, thanks so much. You're welcome. As John just mentioned, the most heavily bet sports game of the year delivered for New Jersey and the country. According to early data, wagering on the Super Bowl surged across the board. New Jersey's Division of Gaming says there was a 30% increase in total betting over the 2023 Super Bowl. Numbers reported by Atlantic City's nine casinos and the state's three racetracks show wagering hit more than $141 million. Sportsbooks netted about $8.5 million from that, which is actually down by a little over $4 million from a year ago. The total revenue figure includes not just the state's sports books, but also their 18 online affiliated betting apps. According to the data company GeoComply, which tracks the location of internet gamblers, so many Americans placed bets during the big game that transactions hit nearly 15,000 per second. Let's see if next year's Super Bowl can top that. Turning to Wall Street, stocks were mixed today after retail sales tumbled. Here's where the markets closed. And tune in this weekend to NJ Business Speed with Raven Santana. She marks Black History Month by sitting down with John Harmon from the African American Chamber of Commerce and speaks to two black female entrepreneurs about what's driving more black women to open businesses and how they're helping mentor the next generation. Watch it on the NJ Spotlight News YouTube channel Saturday at 10 a.m. And that's going to do it for us tonight. But make sure you catch Reporters Roundtable tomorrow. David talks to Republican Budget Officer Senator Declan O'Scanlan about the harsh realities facing New Jersey's budget and whether the state is headed for a fiscal cliff. Then a panel of local reporters break down this week's political headlines. Watch Roundtable tomorrow at noon on the NJ Spotlight News YouTube channel. I'm Brianna Venozzi for the entire NJ Spotlight News team. Thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you tomorrow. New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child. And RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together.